Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of my Gaudium at Space22.com uh, podcast and YouTube video. Today, I'm joined <clears throat> by someone I've, I think I've had on the show two or three times before, Dr. Chris Altieri, uh, who got his PhD at the Gregorian, not that long ago, actually, was it, Chris? Uh, well, it was a few years ago now. Uh, yeah, you're, you're seasoned. You're now seasoned. Yeah, I, I defended it in 2010, I think. And you have an expertise in philosophy, theology, politics. You are quite the uh, Renaissance man intellectually. Uh, you now teach at Fairfield Prep up in Connecticut, which is your I'm, alma mater. I'm not going to argue with any of that, Larry. Uh, <laughs> just folks make a note. He said it. I didn't. And Chris also once worked for Vatican Radio. He was, uh, he still is, like, you know, very involved in various Catholic publications like the Catholic Herald, Catholic World Report. And what we're going to discuss today, he just had an article come out in Crux. Uh, you can see it online. Uh, that what, Chris, remind me, I, I had it printed out and I left it downstairs by accident. I don't want to run, get it. I went downstairs to get something to drink and left it down there. So what's the name of the article? Oh, I don't remember what it was called. Uh, it was about Cardinal writers Burke. Don't write yeah, writers don't write headlines. But I know, I know, unfortunately. Was, uh, uh, well, sometimes. Look, I, I'll tell you, as it, having been on both sides of that, having been an editor and a makeup editor or a copy editor uh, and uh, uh, done it all, uh, but being a makeup editor, uh, that, that's the, or a sub editor is sometimes they're called, the guys who write the headlines. Uh, you can't be great at everything. And I was a pretty terrible head headline writer, while, you know, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a, that's an art. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to short shrift it. And uh, that said, it, it, the, the piece you're talking about was just an analysis of the whys and wherefores of the apparent, I don't know how to couch it really still. Uh, the Let's just call them the measures that Pope Francis is apparently uh, taking or countenancing at least uh, against uh, Cardinal Burke. That's Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, the former prefect of the apostolic signatura. The uh, essentially he was the, you know, the former chief justice of the, uh, of the church's Supreme court. Uh, yeah, we can yeah. get into the weeds on how the, the, the apostolic signatura and the Roman wrote a split responsibilities for kinds of cases and things like that. But, uh, so he's an important dude. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, former, uh, archbishop of St. Louis, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, had been in lacrosse before. That. He's a priest of lacrosse, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. uh, canon lawyer, uh, and uh, a very good one. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, who has not been shy about his uh, criticism of certain aspects of uh, Pope Francis's approach to teaching the faith and governing the church. Yes. Uh, to say the least. Yes, he's been very critical, I would say. And 
And so in other words, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we, we kind of established Cardinal Burke's bona fides here, who he is. Uh, but for the listeners who may not be completely up to speed, what we're what we're talking about are are at least at this point, what seem to be very well substantiated rumors, at least that no, Pope, Fra- I, I, Pope Francis I, I, is about to remove to, to kick in a sense to kick Cardinal Burke out of his apartment in Rome, the one that comes with being a cardinal and to take away his salary as a cardinal in Rome. Uh, and it was, in a sense, re- leaked from a meeting of the heads of the dicasteries that he had. And then Austin Ivory, the great, you know, sort of papal biographer, has now sort of confirmed that the pope did, in fact, say to him, yes, uh, because Cardinal Burke has harmed the unity of the church, I have decided to move I- I- in this direction. But I just read today that Cardinal Burke has said that he himself has not yet been told that this is the case. Uh, so that's another that's another issue that we can talk about right there. Assuming that this report is true, why hasn't Cardinal Burke even been had the decency of being told that he, this is happening to him? Yeah. So anyway, it- go ahead. What's your analysis of all this? Uh, I mean, Larry, it's not a great look, uh, to be perfectly frank. Um, you know, and as far as the, look, Pope Francis, he's the Pope, uh, and he, uh, was well within his rights. And this was way back before any of this kicked off. It was in 2014. He was well within his rights to remove Cardinal Burke from his position at the, at the signatura, you know, he's stripped him basically of every office of trust and responsibility that he has in the church. He's still on uh, a few congregations, but the fact is that those sorts of positions are, I, I wouldn't call them sinecures, but they're not, they're not curial offices in the pertinent sense of the term. Okay. Um, right. So, you know, so it's not a good look, but why, why isn't it a good look? I mean, can't the Pope do whatever the Pope wants? Well, a little bit of the background here. So for several years, uh, Cardinal Burke has been basically riding the conference circuit, you know, and speaking his mind, saying his piece and, uh, the Pope has been content to let him do that. And frankly, I thought it was a, a, a pretty, uh, pretty terrific. And he was w- winning the PR war simply by ignoring Cardinal Burke. Yeah. Right? Uh, because the more he ignored Cardinal Burke, the more Cardinal Burke just looked like a, a crazy right winger out there on the fringes, waving his arms around. Right. I don't know that he looked that way, but it was certainly easy enough for people to portray to him that way. that way. Yes, that's what uh, I mean. Yes. And. More importantly, Pope Francis was taking the high road on it, right? Yeah. Uh, and putting putting his money where his mouth is and, and could say, you know, look, I, I called for frank talk. Cardinal Burke is speaking frankly. That's his business. That's his right to free country, as it were, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let him let him let him say what he has to say to the people who were willing to turn out and hear it and we can all get on with our lives. I'm still the Pope, right? Uh, He's pulled that rug out from under himself. Yeah. At at this point. Um, And why? What's the practical upside? I don't see it. You know, 
uh, it's not even like a case of, uh, you know, the, of Joe Strickland. And th- I, I got into this a little bit in the piece you're talking about. Yeah, I want to talk you because you compared the two situations and you say and, they're really they're not symmetrical. They're not. Yeah, the same. It's, it's not not at all apples to apples here uh, because Strickland had care of souls and Strickland, t- you know, like him or not, agree with him on some points. You can say which, you know, have your take on Joe Strickland. Uh he was not merely strident. He was uh, very free and easy with his personal attacks on yes. the Pope. You know, he yes. he 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 went after the person of the Holy Father uh, in a way that uh, Cardinal Burke not only hasn't done, but wouldn't sit still for you know um and so he's always conducted himself uh after the manner of the the loyal opposition as it were right yeah yeah uh if we could imagine it uh in in roughly parliamentary terms so and what I, do you think though was the provocation what was the straw that broke the camel's back in this regard that would cause the pope allegedly to to take this what seems on the surface to be a very petty move it's like i'm i'm going to take the keys to your apartment away and your salary yeah uh, and i i mean i'm not i the, we the, exactly what the measures are still isn't clear so i i i wouldn't i i wouldn't go all the way in on that and accept the, you know take you know i wouldn't give as good the 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 worst possible or the strongest possible reading of the the measures just yet um but there's confirmation you know unless uh austin ivory the papal biographer that you mentioned earlier uh who whatever else you might say or think uh, has had access to the pope uh yeah. over the over the years um unless he's making it up uh, well, I know people that know, know Austin. Francis- Ivory. I've never I've never met Austin Ivory, but I know people who do know him. We say he's he's a thoroughly likable human being and a man of deep integrity. I don't agree with his papalolatry or whatever you want to call it with regard to Pope Francis, but he's not. I don't think he's a liar. I don't think he would confabulate and just make this up. Uh, neither do I, uh, you know, um, which is the point, right? Uh, yeah. So some some measures are being countenanced. Uh, uh, the Pope is decided on some measures that are within the ballpark of what's been reported, uh, which is, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I would say that there's an eviction per se. Uh, but. Yeah, basically. uh Removing his, uh, you know, interfering in his present housing uh, arrangements or domiciling in Rome, and and withdraw- at the very least withdrawing his, uh, you know, his 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 living his living stipend, right? Uh, which re- Cardinal's resident in the city get. Um, the best I could do is maybe you know he's sort of declaring him persona non grata, right? 
Well, that uh, seems to be it, because obviously the Pope knows that that Cardinal Burke could easily find another apartment in Rome. And Burke has said that he's going to just find another apartment in Rome. And he, 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 he's he got access to people that will give him money, I'm sure, to live on if he doesn't have enough money already. So this I think this is simply, as you said, yeah, the Pope sig signaling fine, you're per not. you are persona non grata. You are not welcome uh, in, in the papal court. The Pope says he's doing it because he believes that uh, that Cardinal Burke has uh, used the means that the Apostolic See has put at his disposal uh, to work against the unity of the Church. That's what the Pope says, uh, or that's what Ivory says. The Pope says, um, and I don't see any reason not to take it as good. Um, I don't see it. I don't see it, but, you know, I'm not the Pope. Uh, well, well, here's why I don't. This is why I'm dubious about this. OK, uh, why I think there might be at least a hint here or an indication here of a certain pettiness, maybe even a certain vindictiveness. Once again, I'm reading motives into the Pope. He may he may not have and he is the Pope and I owe him a certain respect. But nevertheless, one one has to wonder if if. Cardinal Burke's digs at Pope Francis's papacy didn't get under his skin because the fact is there are other cardinals such as a Cardinal Holderick or other bishops like Bishop Batzing in Germany who have harmed the unity of the church most directly by dissenting from definitive and authoritative church teaching and are now seeking, for example, through the German Synode Weg to absolutely reconstitute the apostolic structure of the church in many ways. And yet those guys get a pass. And yet they are definitely harming the unity of the church, at least from my perspective. But what they refrain from doing is sniping at the pope or sniping at his processes uh, and his beloved sacred. So I wonder maybe, too, if one of the last straws wasn't the fact that at the synod on synodality in October, Cardinal Burke spoke at a sort of sort of counter synod little meeting that was sponsored by people like LifeSite News. I can't remember the name of the meeting. Oh, the babble, synodal babble or something like that. And yeah. Cardinal Burke spoke at that. And I'm just wondering if that maybe wasn't the final straw. I don't know. Uh, I, I know that the two rounds of dubia that uh, Cardinal Burke uh, submitted got answers to the first set, didn't like the answers. So reformulated right. the, the questions, resubmi resubmitted them and published the questions without making mention of the the the, the round of answers uh except yeah. to say what you know we we got answers but uh you know the pope answered us privately so we're not publishing them and and then pope francis ordered the publication of those answers right so we all had a uh a field day with that in the press and that all happened uh, right before the synod on synodality which right before the synod yeah which only increased the seriousness of of what was coming down I don't know what you think, Chris, but I actually think it was poor form on the part of the Dubia Cardinals to uh, publish the questions without, in a sense, even acknowledging that the Pope had responded and that they just didn't uh, like his response. Or did they? I yeah, I don't recall that they didn't acknowledge that he'd responded. I think they made that clear, but didn't publish the. OK, 
I'm wrong the, about that then. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it still wasn't a great look. You know, uh, no. you asked your questions. You asked your questions. You got answers. You don't have to like the answers, but you got them. Um, right. And uh, when, when Cardinals, and as you know, in theory, when Cardinals propose to the Pope some dubia, uh, it's, it's to help the Cardinals themselves clarify in their minds uh, what the Pope is saying in order to better advise and counsel the Pope. It's not a case where dubia traditionally are, well, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions and we're going to make it all public uh, so that the whole world can see what it is that we're, that we're talking. Am I right about that? Yes. Uh, now, I wouldn't mind seeing, and I, I think I wrote about this recently too, uh, because we have seen a bunch of responsa ad dubia, responses to dubia, uh, published uh, recently, and it wouldn't bother me very much. In fact, I'd very much enjoy uh, seeing you know, the standard operating procedure changed so that what right. what you do is you you do publish responses when you decide to give them. And, you know, you don't have to put out a press release or have a news item on Vatican News every time. Right. You know, but yeah. it'll be a, a place where people who are interested can go and look up answers to dubia that have been that have been. Asked. OK, OK, and, so. So, you know, it's a, in the interest of transparency. Um, that said, it's not the standard operating procedure right now. Most dubia, as a matter of fact, aren't for the Pope. And even when they are for the Pope, the it's very rarely the Pope who actually answers them. It, you know, it goes to a dicastery and the dicastery gives it to a flunky and the flunky goes to the library uh, maybe comes back and asks the question of his head man, you know, what do I yeah. do with this? What do I tell Bishop so-and-so, you know, or father so-and-so is asking this. Well, you know, tell him this, Um, you know, the, yeah. depending on, on the, the importance of the question, the kind of question it is, is it a discipline question? Is it a doctrine question? How serious all of this? It's, it's very, very bureaucratic and run of the mill. And it's, there's a lot of rigmarole, you know, people have the idea of the Curia being this place. It's like, uh, you know, a Renaissance vignette. It's just a bunch of guys with office jobs. They're pencil pushers, Larry. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't say that to degrade or denigrate the work that they do. It's to make it clear that this is very often very boring, very tedious work, as necessary as it is. The reason they do it is because somebody's got to. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and these are dedicated experts. These are people who, uh, right. who have you know it's a who have a tough job to do. Uh, so you know, it's not, and it, it's most days it isn't a whole lot of fun. All right. So that okay. So that's kind of how the dubia are usually handled and what the standard operating procedure usually is you think there should be more transparency and 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 i think that that is something that this pope is called for i wish he would actually do it he's always talking about transparency and rarely is this papacy transparent about anything 
Yeah, uh, whether, that's a that's a problem, you know. You know, uh, and so and and so perhaps the Dubia Cardinals, you know, even if it's a poor look, and even if the optics aren't good, and even if they're in a sense violating standard protocol, maybe this is just a kind of expression of of not only their exasperation, but an exasperation of an entire wing of the church that they sort of theologically represent that is looking to the Holy Father and saying, look, the role of the Petrine ministry is to unify by clarifying. And yet you routinely muddy the waters. And then once you've muddied the waters, back away and don't clarify. And then there's a huge mess. And then you get accused of heresy by various people. <laughs> and then you react by squashing them like bugs and 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 so on. Uh, it's just not a good dynamic. And so to me, the dubia kind of represented just this exasperation with this entire pontificate and its lack of transparency and the and the manner in which it operates well you talked about uh the uh, we talked about uh joe strickland the the thing that i i mentioned at the end of the piece that you're talking about there the the comparison and that you know i don't think that the pope wants anyone to be making but has made it impossible to avoid uh isn't to people like hollerick uh, that you mentioned yeah uh, cardinal hollerick or bishop batesing uh or guys like that uh, who you know all right so they're you know uh hollerick is the pope's guy uh, and that's fine. You know, he's the Pope and he gets to have his guys. I, I, I don't have to like it, you know? Um, yeah, he, he's the Pope. Uh, and you know, uh, but the question be, why I, I is he I the said, Pope's guy? I think I said to you, I think I said to you the last time about the Germans, it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Germans have been causing trouble for civilization since the Teutoburg Forest, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they've been a, German bishops they've been a thorn in Rome, with, been a thorn in Rome's side going going yeah, back to uh, 2000 years. Yeah. Talk about a dog bites man story, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but but it's it's guys like Jean Pierre Ricard in France. You know, the the the, the art somehow emeritus Archbishop of uh, of Bordeaux, who still has his red hat. The man has confessed to child molestation. Yes, you uh, mentioned that in the article, and I thought that was a great point. And it just goes to the point of that is raised does, over and over again of a double standard at play, regardless of what one thinks of Cardinal Burke. Is there not a double standard? That's what I think so many people want to know. How is that guy? You know, how, that guy yeah. gets to keep his red hat. And, you know, all right. So Burke doesn't lose his red hat, but he's what he, he's he's not allowed to live in the city anymore or he's not welcome. You know, he's. Uh, I. I what gives is a reasonable question at that point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, and I uh, think it's, it's a reasonable, I, I don't think it's an impertinent question to ask. I think it's a reasonable question to ask. And, and this is part, you know, part of your, your article, your latest article is I think part and parcel of an ongoing 
series of articles did you and I read I read every one of yours and share the ones I see over the past uh, two or three years where you keep hammering away over and over and over again, not on the sort of doctrinal issues or is the pope a heretic? Is he not a heretic? I don't think he's a heretic. And I say this all the time. Uh, I'm I am more concerned, I think, though, with the theology underlying all this than you are. You've been hammering away. You've been hammering away at the, in a sense, the erosion of the rule of law in the church under this under this pontificate, it seems to me. Yeah. So maybe- and you and I. Yeah, we've gone back and forth about it. Um and I was glad of a chance a while back to clarify with you that it's it's not that I think that the theology is unimportant. Right. Maybe uh, I overstated that. It's just a different emphasis uh, you and I have. But you know. I would say, yeah, that that and I'll I'll put it this way bluntly. Uh doctrine has a way of taking care of itself. Uh yeah. This isn't this isn't the first mess we've been in doctrinally. Now, do we have to go and, you know, wake sleeping dogs? I don't I don't see the upside to it. I don't. But, you know, it it's it is what it is. And, you know, uh, but things will clear up. Um, it, you know, it may take a while, but the church is an institution that thinks in centuries, right? Yes. But the church is an institution, which means that she needs to govern herself in real time. And it is, you know, as a journalist, as a reporter, and as an observer and analyst of, uh, Things that happen in the church at the highest levels of governance, especially of government, especially uh, it, it is with the pope as a governor that I am chiefly concerned. And I. I, I don't mind saying that I, I. I don't think he's governed well. Uh, yeah. And. But wouldn't you say, let me let me stop, let me stop you real quick there. And it might I don't want to take us off too far in a tangent. But would you not also say, because I would say this, that the previous two popes also did not govern well? Oh, sure. Uh, you know. But the, the, the not governing well was of a different kind for each one, each one of the popes, probably. I think. Sure. Uh, and we could get into the weeds on that, right? Yeah. Um, both John Paul II and Benedict the Sixteenth delegated a lot. John yes. Paul II because he spent a lot of time traveling, uh, and then was sick for a long time. You know, yeah. we for especially now with the 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 series of health scares incurring including the current one that that Pope Francis is having you know uh we forget that Pope St John Paul II while he lived and reigned was real sick for a real long time about 10 years about 10 years yeah. of his papacy yeah uh, um where he was you know not running the church day to day. No, not at all. 
in in any meaningful sense. And Benedict uh, always admitted, in fact, he talked about it quite frankly and openly in uh, his memoir that was published in 1993, I think. Uh, Really, the English edition came out in 1993 or thereabouts. Uh, it was called Milestones, if you recall. I have it. I've always been a weak administrator, you know, is what he says in there. Yeah. Um, and that's a fair assessment. All right. Well, uh, where does Francis differ? How is Francis's uh, poor governance of the church maybe in some ways worse? I would deem it worse. I would view the poor, poor governance of the previous two popes as one of just lack of attention, whereas this pope seems to rule by diktat and to, in a sense, overturn long established canonical processes. He is not concerned with. figuring out why things have been done the way they've been done, I think is, is certainly true. Um, and he has, as a matter of fact, yes, ruled by diktat, um, you know, governed by fiat, uh, run roughshod over uh, due process, uh, yeah, rule of law, all of these things. Um, and, you know, made some, not perfect, but, you know, uh, potentially very useful papal reforms and then has been very, very reticent to use them. I think, especially of Volsestis Lux Mundi. I was going to bring uh, that up. Form, yeah. yeah, of uh, which you know streamline the investigation process and and the uh, the, the 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 prosecution of uh, abuse and cover up in the church, uh, but. F- has been pretty sparing in his use of of that tool that he gave himself and if you're not going to take it out of the toolbox and and use it i don't know what good it is um he's given friends a pass you know i don't know how else to describe the way that he handled the case of uh, Bishop Gustavo uh, Zanchetta uh, as anything except, you know, protecting a friend. Yeah. Uh, and more or, recently, or Rupnik. Marco Rupnik. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, they, the rehabilitation of, uh, of, of Cardinal Godfrey Daniels, right? Uh, I would add in the rehabilitation of Cardinal McCarrick. Rehabilitate. I don't know. That's the one he maybe got halfway right. Um, you know, uh, 
certainly I think it's fair to point out that uh, he hasn't given the U.S. bishops any encouragement or the wherewithal to uh, dig up the network, uh, the the McCarrick network, right? Right. Um, well, he's promoted certain people who were part of the McCarrick network. Sure. Uh, and it does, you know, Cardinal Kevin Farrell. Uh, is yeah. one that comes to mind uh and you you sort of you wonder what that's about don't you you know yeah, you uh, yeah I mean, the, of course the, there, there's six degrees of separation for almost half of the american episcopacy yeah and, and cardinal uh, mccarrick and there are there there are other things that uh and and, and that's just one country you know um yeah. Well, the point being there are other places that, that, that have had uh, other and similar uh, situations yeah. emerge. But um, see, the, po the point the, is, the, go ahead. No, the, the, to bring it back to the Burke situation, maybe even Strickland to an extent, is that there's just this perception of of kind of almost arbitrariness so that the that it's it's whatever mood the Pope woke up in that morning. And, and th that's a caricature and it's not true. But I'm, I'm talking about on the level of perception as you try to connect certain dots and try to figure out, well, what kind of criteria are you know, is he using here for making these adjudications? It just there's just all of these gaps and you look at it and you wonder. And so to me, then that raises a theological question that I want to address to you, it, which is it, in some ways, it seems to me that the signature effort of, of this Pope for better or for worse, and I've been critical of it, is this synod on synodality, this whole synodality concept, which is so ill-defined. But let's just take it as something decent and good and not put a pejorative spin on it and say, okay, what he wants is a decentralized church where there's not so much emphasis on papal rule uh, and authority is diffused out to the bishops as per Vatican II and collegiality and so on. But then you turn around and ask, act in very non-synodal ways. How, how does the synodal process have any credibility at all in a papacy that acts in such, such unilateral, monarchical, non-synodal ways? Well, that's a tougher question to answer than you might think, uh, in part because it brings us to the nexus of, uh, if you will, theology and politics, right? right? And by politics here, I don't mean who's up and who's down, uh, who's in and who's out, but the things of the city that is the church. Um, in the East, the Synod is an organ of government, right? Right. And has been for many, 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 many centuries. Pope Francis has said that the universal church needs to recover and appropriate something of that Eastern genius. Um, 
but there's very little in what he has set up yeah. that even remotely resembles the organ of government that is the synod in the east uh yeah. and there are all sorts of historical contingent reasons for that and all sorts of historical contingent reasons for which i don't think it could possibly work in the west or as a universal modus gubernandi uh that said um well part of it it's just you know his speech back in the to the Senate in 2014 or 2015. I can't remember which of the two gatherings it was, but he made it very clear that the Synod, as he has constituted it, which is basically a reform and a revision of what Pope St. Paul VI instituted uh, as a consultative body in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, uh, works cum petro et sub petro. Right. So with Peter and under Peter, and he made it very clear that the more important of those two is under Peter. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. So, he, you can't be the only way to be cum Petro is to be sub Petro. Sub, yes. Right? Uh, so. Uh, OK, fine. Uh, well, that means that synodality is going to be whatever pope francis says it is right and you know uh synodality as a term will mean whatever pope francis says it means uh, that's not helpful no it's not synodal either whatever that means <laughs> well in the greek you know, sense i mean in the eastern in the eastern sense no, it's, it's not. It, it, it just it isn't. OK. Um, and there's no way to square that circle. OK. Uh, now, th that's not to say that the effort isn't worthwhile. It's not to say that the thing is good or bad, but. It isn't the thing you say it is. That's right. Right. And my concern, as an observer, as a journalist, as a thinker, and as a Catholic, I don't have a set of concerns that are different, right? As an observer or as a as a political philosopher, right? Uh, the 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 concerns of the philosopher regarding the city are the same as any citizen. Uh, as any citizens concerns right 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 um right. the same is true here mutatis mutandis and uh i don't see that this is a uh, any sort of 
system or way toward a system of right governing the things of the church but which okay so calls into question whether or not the goal in all of this really is a restructuring in a systematic and coherent way uh, of, of the way in which the Catholic Church, in a sense, governs itself. Uh, and whether, and I mean, and that opens the question by those critics, such as myself, of the whole synodal process, that it's a, uh, and I think you get this from other people, George Weigel and so forth, that it's a stalking horse for something else. And then you look at the people he's put in charge of it and made voting members of it. And that adds to a deeper level of suspicion that it's a stalking horse for something else. And so that question of what that something else might be is a theological question, I think. Uh, and once again, though, at the intersection of church and politics and the unresolved open wound of all the post-conciliar debates within Catholicism about this and that and the other thing. Um, and and you actually saw synod participants who were speaking of it as like a mini Vatican three and hoping that, you know, you, you saw, for example, National Catholic Reporter when the synod was over and looking at the final document and lamenting the fact nothing was done. Gay still can't get married. Women are still not priests. What whatever was this synod even for if it didn't give us all these things? So in, in, in my mind, therefore, the, the question here of of once again is one of consistency uh, and and consistency and governance with regard to how one deposes bishops or takes privileges away from cardinals, consistency in, in, in what it is that the Pope is actually looking for out of this synod. One day he says it's Eastern this, and the next day it's just listening and moving where the spirit moves. You know, So th there's just this broad incoherence, it seems to me. Let me put on my antagonist's cap for a minute, Larry. Sure, go ahead. Take the other side of this, all right? Just for just for fun, just for giggles, you and I, huh? All right. All right? My, my, I hate my headpiece is giving me trouble today. It won't stay in. Okay, go ahead. Um and <clears throat> let me let me ask let me ask you the question, all right? Um what's wrong with letting people talk? Nothing, as long you as know? it's letting letting all voices talk and it's not a curated talking and a curated listening. Uh, OK, fair enough. Um, like, OK, so James Martin is a voting member of the Synod. Hollerick runs the Synod. He gives a private audience to Sister Gramic. Where were the members of Courage? Why wasn't anybody from Courage invited to be a voting member of the Synod? That's what I mean by curated listening. All reasonable questions. Uh, the Pope's, suppose it's like this. The Pope lets these guys have their day in the sun. Then he's the one who turns around and writes the most yeah. exhortation, right? And he tells them what they thought all along. And, you know, uh, the the folks who have been hemming and hawing look silly because they've been screaming chicken little sky has fallen the whole time and nothing happens. Yeah. Of all of the horrible doomsaying, right? None of it comes true. And the other guys, the, the 
the the Pirandellos of the world who want to say that nothing is stable and nothing abides and uh you know we got to get with the times and 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 the, the the folks who are out for you know to usher in the age of Aquarius leave disappointed as well because <laughs> uh, you know uh they didn't they didn't get what they want um and you know this is the great let's stop this is the great okay that 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 for me is is the least troublesome aspect if i've got to be perfectly frank of all of this okay because because you know after the when the amazonian synod happened that's pretty much what happened isn't it oh big time what happened and here's the thing about that even on the things where there could have been some movement right like ordaining like on, ordaining viri probati yeah the, ordaining married men in provisional circumstances and i've said this all along. okay so this this to me you know i don't i, I to, against the traditionalists and all of these harping critics of this papacy i this pope is not a heretic he is simply if if you think this pope is a heretic your your bar for heresy is very 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 low in in my opinion Okay, he's not a heretic. And quite frankly, he's a deeply complicated figure that is not easily pigeonholed. Okay, so there's this synod on synodality thing, and and he freights it full of these, lards it with all of these more progressive. Front loads it with, uh, yeah. With all this. Okay. And he did the same thing with the Amazonian Synod, where it was a bunch of fat German prelates running around hoping that they could impose Germanic values on the Amazon and get something out of it for themselves in return. Is the in- Amazonian Basin is a testing ground for their pet sociological theories. Is what <laughs> exactly. It was. You know? Right. Okay. And then the Pope comes out and it's a big nothing burger. So the point is this. All right. Here you've got a Pope. The, 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 the hard right wingers think he's this wild progressive. And yet he hasn't changed the teaching on contraception. He has not changed the language of the catechism on homosexuality as intrinsically disordered. Despite an ambiguous footnote in Amoris Letizia, he simply hasn't green lighted divorce and remarriage a la the Orthodox and, and following their model. He hasn't green lighted intercommunion with Protestants. He hasn't uh, okayed gay marriage and this. Kind. He hasn't ordain okay ordaining women he hasn't even done something that he could have easily done with a stroke of a pen which has allowed priests to get married in certain limited circumstances so it's really really hard to paint this pope as this wild-eyed progressive liberal in an unreconstructed post-vatican II sense when you when you look at all that so then that then leads to the question what was the point to the synod at all? There's all this curated listening. I think the listening was bogus and fraudulent. I think the entire thing was staged and, and, and weirdly implemented. And so why not have a synod on liturgy, which is a really important issue that's burning in the church right now, or, or, or a liturgy on, on something else, you know, that is really a burning issue in the church, but a, but a synod on synod, a meeting on meetings, uh, that went. That's actually probably not going to go anywhere. That's going to be a big nothing burger at the. What was Chris? Uh, I'm fulminating now. I'm steaming. What was the point to all of this? What was the point? What is going to be the end product of all of this? I don't know. Maybe what we're dealing with is you know the 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 Seinfeld papacy. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, you guys know the old line. It's a show about nothing, right? Yeah, a show about uh, nothing. Um, the, the 
the stepping back from that and that was a solid rant by the way let me say uh, yeah i'm capable uh, of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing is this all right um i don't know that it needs to have a point beyond the exercise itself right okay um we've heard from the beginning that you know francis is a guy who likes to start processes and then just see where they go okay but that to me is another way of saying, you know, he, he doesn't actually, you know, ever really conclude anything, doesn't get it done. Right, right. No, and doesn't care to. Uh, th there's a lot of evidence to suggest most of it, you know, precisely the stuff that you've adduced here to suggest that uh, that that is the case. And if it is, OK, fine. You know, when. It's just going to mean a lot of cleanup for the next guy and the guy after him. And, you know, we're going to be uh, sweeping and dusting and mopping for a while. We were going to be sweeping and dusting and mopping for a while anyway. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. No, you know, no, I... really, no really big deal. Um. What I do think is interesting in all of this, right? And here, getting back to the point about this being the nexus between theology and politics is a serious, sustained, consecutive, systematic, think-through, public think-through, a conversation, as it were, right? A debate a discussion in the church about how power is organized and how to reform the organs by and through which power is exercised in the church, you know, is no longer avoidable and we can't postpone it for very much longer. Right. We're going to have to figure out how to constitute new or to erect new power structures that don't go foul of the church's hierarchical constitution. Right. Um, yeah. Our round table meetings and listening sessions going to be utterly useless in that? I don't think so. Right. So. Right. So what you're saying is, is that it is for a trial run or, you know, as an exercise in, 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 
methodological research and development of a let's all uh, yeah, of an okay. organon that is going to be useful later on maybe this whole thing isn't you know isn't an absolute waste of time i uh, think it is i think it you is. know I think there are better ways. I think there. I think there are better ways to restructure the church's governing structure than oh. to go through this horrifically Byzantine process that we've been through over the past couple of years. I mean, I mean for example, too, if if you know, if if the process is simply about listening, so I mean, come on, did you do the penance that I did and several others did the absolute penance of reading the Instrumentum Laboris for? from cover to cover for the, for the Senate on Senate. Did you read that God awful thing? That gobbledygook this, of this socio. Last one, I, yeah, I'm pretty not sure. the final product, the instrumental yeah. laborious to the Senate on synodality that came out, you know, yeah, it, it yeah, read, I, it read like something from a stupid corporation, human resources department on dialogue and how do we get along? And, there was nothing about Christ, redemption, the sacraments, sanctification, all of the traditional. In other words, you would think that those are the bulwark foundations upon which any change in governing structure of the church would be grounded. And therefore, you would think that those are the things you would want people specifically to be talking about in their listening sessions and not whatever bullshit idea just popped into their head that day about gay marriage or women priests. All right. Let's talk about serious things. And that the, the instrumental divorce did not direct us towards serious things. And the synod on synodality did not direct us towards serious things. So if it's just a, if, if the exercise was simply about listening, I still say it was an empty, empty form of listening. I don't have any problem with that. I'm talking <laughs> about the talking about the process as such and not this particular specific iteration of it. Uh, right. That said, uh, I think it's reasonable to to note that uh, an instrumentum laboris is always a a grab bag. It's a catch all. It's you know, uh, everybody gets a line in it just so that you can say you didn't leave anybody out. You know, they're they're awful documents. They're supposed to be awful documents. Uh, this one, this one was. Uh, I'll grant you, this one was particularly egregious, even by that very, you know, ab that abysmal standard. Uh, that that said. So it was uh, a bad example of the, of the of a bad genre. Of so, a yeah. bad genre, right? Yeah, or or. <laughs> The paradigmatic example. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay, right. Of, yeah, of, this will the, the display for all really bad instrumental divorces in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you either. I mean, I'm just grasping at straws here, trying to figure this pope out at the what is clearly, you know, the probably the waning years of his papacy. Uh, you know, what, what was this all about? I mean, I was in Rome for half the synod, reported on it, talked to people that were involved in it. And, and, and there was some discontent amongst the people that I spoke to about how, you know, things were freighted in a certain direction. 
uh, things were curated in a certain direction and, you know, the instrumentum laboris. Uh, so in other words, I, I, I'm still left with a deep suspicion that the thing was, a, at least by for, in the eyes of some people, not necessarily the Pope, but in the eyes of some important people in Rome and elsewhere, that the synod was a stalking horse for something else. And that was a change in church doctrine on LGBTQ issues, women's issues, and so on. That's what I think it was. I get it. Uh, I don't want to gainsay that take. All right. Um, here's the thing. And I don't want to shrink anybody's head. Right. Um, least of all the popes. But I think there is an important psychological element to everyone's either everyone's frustrations, whether it's frustration, frustrated hopes or consternation over what it looked like the thing was about at the end of the day. Right. Right. And how it was how the people who were in charge went about it. Synods have always been for, you know, since the first ones in the sixties, right. Uh, since Paul, the sixth reconstituted the body. Uh, they've always been highly managed affairs. All right. Oh, they've been managed. probably even maybe even more so in the past. Right. Um, managed and curated. Oh, yeah. They've all been that. And and, and so this one was no different. And that's that's the point, right? That. But no, it's not because this one pretended not to be micromanaged. That's the the promise is we're going to get something different. We're going to get something better. This time it's going to be, you know, really genuinely open and all of these things. And then. It wasn't. It was like all of John Paul's synods. I mean, the the bishops were given little little pamphlets. You know, everything was here pre-checked for your convenience, (laughs) pre-checked and approval for everything I've just said as pope for your convenience. Now, let's talk about everything that I've just agreed that you're going to agree upon. Yeah, I think there's a great deal more brutal honesty in that kind of a charade than there was in the current synod, which at least pretended that it was this open ended discussion and dialogue when it in fact was not. But I want to come back. I don't want this to devolve into yet another diatribe of mine about about the Synod. I want to bring it back to Cardinal Burke, which is what I really wanted to talk to you about, which is that at the end of the day, I don't think doing what apparently is being done to Cardinal Burke, and I would extend this maybe, maybe, I don't know, I have to think about it more to, to Bishop Strickland, that that in a church that right now is so racked with with competing voices, let's say it's a fractious church right now, at least on some level. Uh, and and it would seem to me now is a time for a great latitudinarian expression of views and for allowing for people who are frustrated with the church right now and its direction to voice those views. Without fear, it seems to me that right now there's got to be in the episcopacy a climate of fear, and and that to me is a very bad thing to have in the church. Is is a climate? Do you think there's a climate of fear? Do you think that this move now against Cardinal Burke, on top of other moves against other bishops, 
Do you think it creates a climate of fear? Uh, Larry. Yes, I do. Um, put yourself in their shoes. Wouldn't you be wondering who's next? Yes, I would. <laughs> That's why I asked the question. You know, somebody's, uh... somebody said in my com box the other day, what if, what if the Pope started coming against you, you, Lay, lay folk theologian blowhards on your little YouTube channels and started threatening you with excommunication or something. How would you feel? And, and I was, well, I, I wouldn't feel very good about it at all, to be honest with you. I've left you dumbstruck, it seems. Yeah, I, I mean, look, look, dumbstruck. <laughs> Not for long, not for long, chap. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you were never dumbstruck, Chris. Never. Uh, sorry, I was actually I was eyeing my cell phone. Here is what was happening. My daughter was writing me a message. Um, the uh, the the thing is this. All right? I do the same. Here's mine right here. Yeah. Uh, Nobody in Rome has been having a very easy time of it. Right. Right. That's the uh, word I hear. Yeah. For 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 a good for a good while now. And that's true of, you know, uh curial lifers who are just, you know, guys who are office pukes who go into work and do a job and go home at the end of the day. And it's true of the big wigs who don't want to step on toes, get on the boss's bad side, and are never sure where his good side is on any one day, you know. Um, and uh, folks are very reticent to uh, to speak, even you know, on background uh, for fear of having. Things that they may say get traced back to them. Uh, it, it's not a it's not a happy or terribly healthy climate, and I don't see a move like this making it better. Right. Um, one of the one of the things that I would say in terms of the the general reform of the Roman Curia that the the Pope has accomplished, at least on paper, right, with Predicate Evangelium, which is, you know, one of the, the, the signature reforms of his whole pontificate. It, it wasn't to put the Curia in form for action in the 21st century, because it, it didn't do that. Uh, it, it's perpetuated gridlock it's sort of uh, the institutionalized and uh sort of is a recipe for 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 stabilizing the dysfunction not for fixing it uh, even the idea that uh you know 
making evangelization job one for the curia sounds great until you think about what it actually means on a practical level. Because the curia is a bureaucracy. That's what it is. It's a power structure. It does things. And like any bureaucracy, it does them at best tolerably well on a good day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And if you make evangelization job one for the curia, you, you don't make the curia mission effective. You bureaucratize evangelization. The the, the 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 church's mission of evangelization. That's what yeah. you do. Yeah. And then on top of that, you hamstrung the actually efficient aspects of the bureaucracy that you really need. <laughs> yeah. You need the bureaucracy to be bureaucratic in a very efficient way. And theologizing it in this vague mission way doesn't help that. You know, so now we've got uh, a bunch of super dicasteries uh, where nobody knows exactly what anybody's supposed to be doing on any, on any given day. And you've got, you know, the Congregation for Divine Worship trying to tell people, you know, par pastors of parishes what they can and can't put in their bulletins in terms of their mass offerings. Yeah. That's psychotic, Larry. Yeah, That's psychotic. it's not. Nor is it synodal, regardless of what definition of synodality you give, telling pastors what mass times they can and can't publish in their parish bulletins from an office in Rome. It's, it's about as top-down, psychotic, heavy-handed, autocratic rule as you can get. Yeah, who, how, who, what, who do they have to enforce that, you know? <laughs> oh, they've you got know, their, our, their moles, their rats that are out yeah, there. The hey, taking, hey any, anybody, can take, anybody can take a screenshot now, yeah. Hey, take a look at this guy, you know, what he's done. In, you know, in, he in has the last mass published in his bulletin. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here we go. This guy's uh, he's got this mass published in St. Torquemada, Nebraska. There you go. St. <laughs> <Saint> Torquemada. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just that just popped into my head. Uh, but anyway, uh, that turns yeah. up in copy. I'll give you credit for it. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so we're kind of uh, sort of a little bit all over the place here at the end, but that's fine. I love it when conversations kind of just go on their own weight in, in, in certain directions. And, and but there is a, an Ariadne's thread that's, that's sort of running through all of this, which is um, the governance of the church under Pope Francis uh, and whether or not some of these recent moves of his against bishops and in this case against a cardinal whether these are ill-advised moves or long delayed moves that should have been done five years ago according to sort of like where peter is and mike lewis you know that kind of thing uh long delay i mean according to mike lewis and where peter is i mean cardinal burke is a heretic that should have been excommunicated five years ago or something uh you know it, it's it's there's this just sort of insane Insane conversation, it seems to me, going on in the church right now about these things. And and, and moves like this just don't seem to help that. Yeah, uh, no, no beef with that. Uh, you know, the. Look. 
we've had silly seasons before. I think one of the reasons that yeah. is frustrating for people is that we thought we were just out of one, right? Yes. I say this all the time. I don't feel like relitigating the case that we thought was done. We thought double jeopardy applied. And here we are relitigating all of these same stupid, silly season debates all over again. That boils me. I, I have to tell you, people notice it, too. It gets under my skin because, you know, that was litigated by the previous two pontificates. And yet here we are again. Same stupid debates. Meanwhile, real issues of governance uh, go unaddressed. Yes. Uh, and the church's credibility is at stake here. Uh, you know, because. If people can't believe you when you tell them that, yes, we've published the full and complete and exhaustive list, as far as we know it, of uh, uh, abusers, clerical abusers. Right. Then they can't believe you when you tell them that Jesus loves you and died for your sins and rose from the dead. That's right. That's exactly right. And it's that simple. Yes, okay. it is. Yes, it is. A church that enables child rapists is not a church that can preach the gospel credibly, period. And a Full church stop. that tolerates church that tolerates abuse of all kinds against adults. Yes. Is not trustworthy. Yes. So let's deal with that. Well, we could have used a synod Let's on that. It's you know, squarely and without stint, right? Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we have a bunch of listening Be sessions before next year? A listening sessions devoted to one question: clerical or not? Didn't just sexual abuse within the church against children and against adults. Let's talk about that, and then let's make the next synod next October with laser-like specificity, zero in on that issue. And let lay people speak and vent their rage and see what happens. People ask me, you know, I, I've been tempted to, to 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 put it this way that, you know, what do you think about Cardinal Burke? What do you think about X? What do you think about Y? What do you think about Z? Whatever it is, whether it's the synod on synodality, the meeting on meetings, the uh, yeah. who's up, who's down in Rome. The only question I have is, you know, what did. Uh, who knew what about Rupnik and when? Right. That's what I want to know. Uh, right. I want to know what the hell happened and didn't. That's all. You know, like, because. Or who lifted Rupnik, Rupnik's excommunication? Any one of those things, you know. Um, who lifted that? Can't, isn't it only the Pope that can lift that? Excommunication. I don't know. That's a real question. I don't know the so, answer to that. If 
oh, he I think. expressed repentance. Right? Right. And an excommunication, whatever else it is, is a medicinal penalty is a medicinal penalty. Uh it would have to be lifted in very short order. All right. Um, so he pinky swears he's sorry, and the paperwork needs to be filed post haste. I don't know whether that goes to CDF. If it's in the if it's something in the internal form, it goes to uh it goes to the apostolic penitentiary, but I don't think that would have been the case here. Now, uh don't quote me on that. I'll check with the resident canon lawyer uh, and, and get back to you. All right. That's Mrs. Altieri. Yeah. Well, yes. I kind of figured that. <laughs> and uh, Esther. Yeah. And uh, and I, I, I'm sure I asked her that question at the time. I just don't remember the answer. <laughs> so then the next question. OK, we kind of have to wrap this up. But the next question after that one, who lifted the excommunication uh, would be why wasn't even after the excommunication was lifted? given the severity of the crimes, why wasn't he immediately laicized? Well, that would have required either a criminal or an administrative process in the ordinary course of things, if it was for the things of which he was accused. No, it could have been just the Pope uh, signing, signing a piece of paper. The Pope, after all, remember, can do whatever the hell the Pope wants. And if the Pope looked at Rupnik's case and said, no way, this man should be a priest. In other words, if you were, this is my point. If you or I were sitting at that desk looking at Father Rupnik, we would say you have or you have said your last mass, Father. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. You're not a priest anymore. And I would have signed that document and sent him packing. That's what I would have done. I think that's what you would have done. And I'm not what, sure that I, well, I'm not sure that I wouldn't have made, you know, I, I'm not sure that I wouldn't have made him stand trial and made it public, you know, uh, not because I think that the uh, the process is necessary in order to discover the truth of the business in this particular case, but because of the importance of rule of law, that justice is a public good. And the faithful have a right to know what is done. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and that the church, you know, that people have in different states of life in the church have rights that even the Pope, whose power is, you know, supreme, immediate, direct, and absolute. Uh, over all the church, all the churches and all the faithful, uh, you know, the, the sure. Okay, fine. Bound to respect. Excommunication said, is, yeah, go ahead. The, the, that said, the, the, the issue ought never to have been in doubt. Uh, and the idea that, uh, we would simply close the books on the guy because, the statute of limitation had run out when it was clear that somehow this guy had evaded through uh, years and decades of higher ups of his own superiors, either winking at his behavior or else actively working to discredit 
his accusers, yeah. right? Should have stopped the clock ticking on that. And in any jurisdiction, in any system of justice, you know, worth half its salt, that would have been seen as something that, that at the very least would have been taken into consideration. But even before you got there, the reason we have statute of the statutes of limitations is to guarantee the integrity of the process, right? So that the rights of the accused are maintained. So that the guy gets a fair trial. He can basically uh, examine evidence and confront witnesses. In this case, there was mountainous there was mountainous evidence. The Rupnik case. There was yeah. mountainous evidence, and ample opportunity to confront witnesses therefore there was no reason not to waive the statute of limitations none 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 and so yeah so the question of who lifted the excommunication why the the question of why not laicization okay the rule of law <laughs> process trial okay but there wasn't one uh, and and all of a sudden now he's incarnated in a diocese and he's a priest in good standing. Some well, at least he's a priest somewhere. I don't know how much in good standing, but he, you know he's, he's a, the, the Pope he, has agreed that is ordered uh, is ordered a CDF new, or DDF finally, but only after no, articles only after like the one you published came out. A, well, there was a global outcry. Even amongst the secular press. Yeah. And even even his own people, you know, the uh, you know, most of the people in what I described as his army of Renfields. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Great line. You know, just couldn't, you know, couldn't wrap their heads around that one, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's going to be a trial, but when, where, and so on. Hey, but look, we should we should wrap this up. We've been at it for about an hour and 10 minutes. Another lively conversation with the great Dr. Christopher Altieri. Uh, never a dull moment with you, Larry. Thank you. Never a dull moment is right. I always love uh, talking and chatting with you. You know, here's the, here's the weird thing before we sign up. I've actually only met you in person once. I was actually just thinking about that because you recently on the Facebooks posted a picture of uh, uh, you and me and Carrie and Esther out to dinner at uh, I think it was at uh, Taverna Parione, which uh, it doesn't Mars, exist know, anymore. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, right off Piazza Navona. Yep. Uh, great little restaurant. I remember it well, and it's one of my fondest memories. We had, it was a great trip to Rome and great me, but someday our paths will cross again. Uh, Christopher in in person, hopefully, and not just via this computer. But I got to run. And do you have any last words, though, for for the audience before before I cut this loose? Yeah, uh, everything's going to be fine, folks. Uh, the the bark of Peter will come safely to port. Yes. Uh, and uh, in the meantime. You know, like I said, in my, you know, the, the, the very first line of my book that I wrote on reading the news without losing your faith was uh, if you're not getting paid to read the Vatican pages, stay away from them. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, odd, odd advice for a guy who writes them. Right. But uh, same uh, here. Same here. You know, I've spent the past uh, year and a half writing on all this stuff. Having, having said that, uh, you know. Grab your popcorn because this is going to be interesting. <laughs> That's right. Party on, Garth. Yeah, absolutely. 
Party right. on, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time. Bye bye.